Welcome to Two Beats Off, <laughs> episode four. Uh, I just talked over Justin. Welcome to Two Beats Off, episode Wait, four. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Welcome That's to Two Beats Off podcast, episode four. MC, this is Justin. Steven. Steven. It's Justin. And here's MC. I'm MC. That's better than the last time, Steven, when you were like, okay, introduce the episode. And then there's like 15 seconds of weird silence where I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, sorry. All right, so let's address the elephant in the room. MC, when you hear the name Two Beats Off, what do you think it is? Oh, I already told everybody that it sounds like it's masturbating, but it's actually a podcast about music. It's a Fugazi song title. It's not about masturbating at all. I know, but it's like... Look, it's a different time now. Everyone has fucking Pornhub on their phone. Two Beats Off sounds like a a jerk-off in the bathroom at work on a lunch break or something. Sounds like Shakespeare wrote a masturbation scene, like Two Beat Off. I'm going to go ahead and admit that it is a masturbation reference. I hope not. I feel like Finding the Rhythms would have been a masturbation reference, too. I mean, Blister in the Sun is about masturbation, so... True. Never would have thunk. When I was singing that when I was like five years old, my dad was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) I assumed it was drug-related somehow. Wait, did you just now find the outlets about masturbation? Yeah. Oh, buddy. Today I learned. I don't I don't listen to it on purpose. Hey, what do they say on the internet? I was today years old when I learned. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Those internets. <laughs> Those internets. But yeah, so for the people, it is a masturbation reference. <sighs> Damn it. We've never heard of Fugazi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's that? Uh a lot of people that heard of Fugazi went to see Ian's new band in Harrisburg last week, and I think they honestly just went so they could all post a picture with Ian on Facebook or Instagram later. For yeah. sure. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, it was cool. It looked like that room was packed. Who was it? Oh, Donovan posted like a Facebook status. It was like, I watched some guy throwing football outside with his kid and then later realized, oh, that was Ian McKay with his son tossing yeah. around the skin. Yeah, tossing the football around up in Midtown Harrisburg. Yeah, for someone uh, who's uh, so DIY, they support the NFL. Jeez. (laughs) Every football is NFL. (laughs) It might have been a Nerf football. I don't think that's very NFL. I think the NFL is against it. Not enough kids get hurt with NFL or Nerf footballs. That's true. Never thought of that. The NFL's like, no one's ever gotten a brain injury from a Nerf football. Canceled. <laughs> it does seem like they prefer the brain injuries to the non-brain injuries, but... Yeah. <laughs> they prefer the brain talk. injuries to the non-brain injuries. <laughs> See, we don't have much room to talk, though. We're, we're NHL fans, and the NHL definitely doesn't give a shit about their players, so... No. Although, they, I mean, they kind of push to get fighting out, so I don't know. It's slow. Yeah. What what topics you got today, Justin? Um. Well, I wanted to tackle the name and it being a masturbation reference. How was Strike Anywhere last night, guys? Go they ahead. were amazing, as always. That band's like perfect. I really wanted to go. It's great that the energy level between when I saw them for the first time when I was like 13 years old to now seeing them when I'm 29 years old 
is not like noticeable at all. That's amazing. Thomas yeah, ba- barely looks older in those photos. Like just yeah, barely. He, he's he still looks like he's aged well, and the band still has tons of energy on stage. The last time I saw him at the auto bar, we sat up on that balcony, you know, like above the stage. Uh-huh. And there were these uh-huh. old people next to us. I forget who I even went with. MC, was it you? Maybe I doubt it was you because we wouldn't have sat on the balcony. And um, I was no. like, like kind of like, look at these old fuckers over here. And they're like, they just started talking to us before Strike Anywhere played. And they're like, yeah, we're here to see our son's band. It's his first show. And I was like, oh, really? Which band was he? And they're like, oh, he's in Strike Anywhere. And it was um, the guitarist on like closest to the wall MC. It was his first show in the band. And I was like, oh. oh making fun of the guitarist of Strike Anywhere's parents. Oops. <laughs> yeah, I definitely did not <laughs> And then they were super show. nice. Because oh. at the auto bar, if I was seeing Strike Anywhere, I probably would have been stage diving, which now is apparently banned and gets you kicked out. Well, I think I stayed up there until Strike Anywhere played. Ah, right on. So one of my first handful of memories of UMC, like I remember seeing you at Champ, but uh, the Bouncing Souls played the auto bar with Dillinger 4? Oh, think that it, was a night. I think it was that show. Yeah. And you shimmied up that that post at the front of the stage. Yeah. And, and jumped backwards onto Lois and I's heads with your stud belts. Oh, I believe that. that. The only time that you've done that, because I very distinctly remember you doing that, the propaganda show that like you, me, Fat Paul, and everyone was at at the auto bar a while I was, ago. I was yeah. at that show. Yeah. The, the uh, the show Justin referenced, though, with the Bouncing Souls and Dillinger 4, I went with a bunch of friends, and Tall Robert was one of them. I don't know if, Justin, if you know him, but he's a guy from York. He's giant human being. Um, great cook, too. But when Dillinger 4 was playing, they handed a whiskey bottle into the crowd, and having a friend who is probably the tallest person there has a great advantage because he was the first <laughs> person to reach and grab the bottle of Jack Daniels, and he handed it around our group of friends at least twice, and we were <laughs> freaking lit. It was great. <laughs> yeah, just, I just remember seeing you like shimmy up that post, and I turned to Lois, and I go, hey, that's MC from York, and then you just rocketed off of it. <laughs> Yeah, that was a power move at the auto bar for a long time. You just had to get past the carpet, but you could just climb that I-beam and like get all but to the ceiling and just jump. Shout out to Paul Rob, by the way. What a great guy. Yeah. Snagging the whiskey and sharing it. Yeah. Speaking of Bouncing Souls, they're playing Harrisburg now. I saw that announcement today. Yeah, what is that, May 1st? Yeah, with uh, I believe so. Crack. And Big Nothing. Yeah. Who's big nothing? It's um Pat Graham from Sprainerd. Oh, uh, really? it's it's his band. Yeah, That's it's cool. him and some guys from Crybaby and uh, Liz. I really like that last Sprainerd record, honestly, more than anything they've done, which I think is not the most popular opinion on Sprainerd, but it's probably objectively the best record they did. Yeah, so, I remember telling me it was really great, me being like, "Yeah, okay," and then I listened, I was like, "It's really fucking great." <laughs> it's really great. Yeah. So are they playing the? I assume they're playing the big room upstairs at HMAC. Is that the capital? It's the capital room. Yeah, that's that's the big room. That's a huge room. Yeah, that wow. might be too big, honestly. But when's the last time Bouncing Souls played the middle of the state? And they played Lancaster a year or two ago. Oh yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, I'm surprised it's not at the Chameleon. 
Yeah, I, I think know. Brandon's pushing it bigger. Yeah, I, I guess leftover. Well, they're not that. I don't know. Yeah, Leftover Crack's kind of a bummer on that show for me, honestly. I know that's not punk of me to say, but I saw them at the champ on like Thanksgiving Day. I think you guys talked about it on one episode and Yeah, we did. Yeah. Let's be honest. They basically broke up on stage and then outside the show afterwards, the guy that's inside on stage talking about how he hates the cops and wants to fight cops, he ran into the fucking woods and hid when the cops showed up. So that's I'm pretty sure his band left him there. Just that, got in the van and left. That's the story I know from that show is Stizza went, gotta get out of here, it's the cops. And yeah. Then... <laughs> I remember the smell of the fucking room when he walked through like the record store portion of Champ and oh. it was so bad. Like I can, I feel sick thinking about it. Still... I remember, I remember some of the people, like the regulars at Champ that were like worked there or volunteered there or whatever while they were playing doing stage dives that but they were just like curling up like a cannonball and just wrecking kids <laughs> i somehow man i somehow managed to not see leftover crack until like three years ago they headline they headlined that uh reverb and bobby hunt shout out to bobby hunt uh got me pretty drunk at the creek and when i woke up the next morning i was out 20 bucks and i had a leftover crack ticket in my wallet Nice. That's probably the best you've ever seen them. Because <laughs> yeah. well, because his band was playing, so some somehow he got me drunk and got me a buy a leftover crack ticket. Um, s- speaking of cool shows coming up, or I guess cool, Rancid's coming back. I don't know if you heard about that one, Justin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Boston to Berkeley too, baby. Yeah, unfortunately with the Dropkick Murphys. Yeah. So we get to see Rancid play and then like a band that sounds like a bunch of firemen playing at a rec hall. Look, my plan for that is to watch Rancid, have a good time, and then leave in between Dropkick Murphys and Rancid. Yeah, I I want the only reason I didn't do that last time is because I heard about that like double encore that they were doing together. And it was only kind of fine. It wasn't like amazing or anything. Did they play like songs? I don't remember what they did. I feel like they did a bunch of covers and maybe one of each of their own songs. Um, Let me find it. Let's see at Asbury Park because it's at the Stone Pony Outdoor stage, right? Oh, Oh, that that'd be cool. I like it there. Yeah, Yeah, because you can leave and say "fuck off," Dropkick Murphys, but go stand on the boardwalk and hear the encore. When uh, Gas Anthem played there, wait, did you still? The, the Gaslight Anthem show, you guys got an Airbnb that you could still see the stage from, didn't you? Well, we got an Airbnb, but then we went to a bar with a balcony, and we saw the stage from that, and we watched the second night of Gaslight Anthem nice. from that, uh, that, that bar on the boardwalk. Because um, I wanted to see Chuck Reagan's set. Right. I don't remember who we... Who did we get the first night? It was Dave House. Dave House, yeah. Why can't it be the Rancid and the Bouncing Souls? That would be a better show. Yeah. That wouldn't be as big of a draw, though, I'm sure. Oh, the Dropkicks draw, for sure. But honestly, yeah. wouldn't Rancid and the Bouncing Souls still sell out the Stone Pony outdoor stage? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Bouncing Souls in there could, yeah. all In similar size venues all over the country, I don't know. Yeah, probably true. I don't want to be rude to them. No, I. but 
Are you just Honestly, saying that you potentially might do this with us? No. Oh, you actually care about their feelings? Yeah. Okay. The, co yeah. the okay. couple of them I've met are really nice. They do seem fairly nice. Was that 2000? Yeah. MC, was that 2017 Boston to Berkeley or 2018? What are you talking about? Uh, uh, I think it was 18. Yeah. It was 18. I was, I didn't go to that one. I, that was the one that I was really upset that I missed. I didn't go. I thought you. Uh, I thought you were there, MC. I don't know why I thought you were there. No, I wanted to go, and for some reason I couldn't. And then I missed the the rancid plane in New York with the Misfits because Jake got married in Florida. Dick. Yeah. I mean, it was a fun wedding, I, from what I remember. So. That was Jake. a. That was a that was a good show. Misfits were fun. I feel like they'll do something else yet. I mean, they don't have to though, from what I understand, because they were like somehow contractually obligated to a minimum of 10 and Philly was 10. Yeah. So they're probably, they don't have to do it anymore, I guess is where they're at. Right. That's an interesting contract. I didn't know bands did things like that. Well, it was, it was something in the settlement over like all the merchandising money and stuff between, um, Jerry only and Danzig. Oh. That basically, I think for Danzig to finally get the cut of the money that he thought he deserved for designing all that logo that Jerry only sells, like they had to do this run of shows. Right. Did you guys see that um, Danzig donated $666 to Bernie Sanders' campaign? <laughs> <laughs> all right. The, so I finally, I know that wasn't good audio, me just fucking Googling at setlist.fm, but I found the encore, front, the combined Dropkick Rancid encore from that tour, and it was Folsom Prison Blues, Cretan Hop, If the Kids Are United, and I Fought the Law. So it was like, fine. Yeah. I mean, that's not necessary for me to stick around and see, though. No, it's not like... Um, a Dropkick set to see. Do you remember the... Uh, Steven, those Australia videos of Hot Water and the Bouncing Souls doing like yeah. trusty chords and gone to get that looked awesome. I mean, I was just happy seeing uh, Hot Water cover. Um, what did they? Which song did they cover in uh, True, True Believers in Asbury Park? Oh yeah, Hot Water covered True Believers when we saw them in Asbury Park, and then uh, uh, Brian was just stage dive. He didn't even play; he just like jumped on stage and stage dove, and that was good enough for me i'd rather have that than him like fake play bass for a song didn't they do something similar to that at one of the fests when we yeah. went yeah they did yeah they played back to back so they came on to in between and did their songs together yeah that was that was fest the bleach 10? blonde year yeah fest 10 stevie's yeah, bleach blonde stevie's edge break year the photo of Hot War Music and Strike Anywhere all hanging out together after their couple shows with that dog was, like, really adorable. Yeah, I really wanted to go to those Richmond shows, but I, it, considering the the other Hot Water shows didn't sell out to the day of, I didn't expect those to sell out the day tickets went on sale. So I guess it was Strike Anywhere. In Richmond, playing full albums. Yeah. Um, while we're on the topic of this, my only topic I have is to discuss at what point in a band's career 
or at what time do they decide decide it's acceptable to wait for an encore or plan for an encore and especially for punk and hardcore bands and how awkward must it be when you plan for an encore and then don't get one the next show because i definitely felt like strike anywhere was gonna play an encore last night and then it just like was awkward and fizzled out with like six dudes like kind of going at the side of the stage for 10 minutes while the guitarist waited behind his amp and then walked off the stage oh were there any songs like notably left out of the set that you thought would have been like uh, was to the to the world left out or? Chalk, line, chalk line was left out oh man um i feel like they didn't play refusal but i might be forgetting it. they played <laughs> i mean almost everything you wanted to hear off of exit english and changes of sound and even like they played to live in discontent like was that show billed as a uh, a full album show? No. no, it's just a great mix of both records plus a couple songs off to live in discontent. Okay, because yeah. I th- I think New Jersey the night before was billed as like playing changes of sound and eggs English. Yeah, they played both records the night before. Yeah, which I think is why we got such an awesome like mix of both records on that set. I honestly think they only played one song post-Exit English, the whole set. I think you're right. You know, I like that, uh, what was the Bridge Nine record? Iron Front? Front. Yeah. I really like that record. There's a couple great songs on that thing. I really like Dead FM, too. I actually like everything they put out. Yeah. Yeah. You could could tell Dead FM is the Fat Wreck record. I don't know if they did it on purpose or not, but it is slick and it is super catchy. It's like the pop punk record. It's more folky influenced. Like when listening back now, I can hear that like they were kind of going through that sort of phase. I I feel that those last two records, I like them both, but there's nothing memorable on them that like I need to hear when I go to see them. Yeah, I like. No, there's definitely a song or two, but it's not like it's nothing I need to revisit on a regular basis. The on Iron Front revisit the song. it's like postcards from. Yeah, Re- that, yeah, that's I don't know what, what I really like. Yeah, I don't know what it's called, but the they postcards have a one. song from Dead FM that they had a music video for that also always sticks out to me. And it wasn't the one they played. I forget what it's called. It was super catchy and probably my favorite song off that record. Instinct is what it was called. Ah, yes. which uh, what's the hook from that? Sing me the hook. Yeah, oh, okay. that's a good one. Yeah. So Strike Anywhere still has a Bandcamp page. That's sick. For, it, for Dead FM, To Live in Discontent, Exit English, and Changes of Sound are all on their Bandcamp page. <laughs> so are we saying the Bridge Nine record is not on there? I do not see that it. record one is on there. Yeah. I'd be willing to bet they got their rights back to dead fm maybe i don't know how long the contracts last on fat if they decided they wanted to do something with it they probably could that yeah. came out came out in september of 2006 fellas we just ended up talking about stroke anywhere a bunch yeah um to circle back on your encore thing um when you said it was kind of like awkward were, were they expecting the crowd to like holler for it is that what you were referencing it felt like it did you think that mc yeah, I noticed the one guy sticking around 
backs like backstage a little bit. Yeah. And the other guys stayed close to the stage. And they left their amps on. Yeah. Because okay. last night um, at Lucero at the Comedian Club, they played a last song and oh. left. And they left their amps on, but they just had music play really loud out of the speakers, almost like it was over for yeah. like maybe 25 seconds. And then they came back and Ben was like, all right, we're going to do a couple more. All right. Okay, cool. So like, there's a video of Propagandi playing like probably like early to mid 2000s. And I don't think they they don't do it anymore, obviously. But I used to just watch videos of them because, as most people know, they're one of my favorite bands of all time. And uh, Chris Hanna just goes, they play their last song. He goes, we're going to skip the fucking stupid encore shit. And we're just going to play the songs we planned on playing. And to me, Perfect. that's what you should like. If you're in a punk band, I just feel like you should do that. Like, just play I've, your fucking set. I've seen Anti-Flag yeah. do a very similar thing where Justin was like, do you want us to waste time, like, leaving so you can clap for a little bit? Or can we just do this? Yeah, so my, my I guess my point is, is our encore <laughs> stupid is what I'm getting at. Basically, yes. Okay. I, I'd be much more into a band being like, hey, guys, thanks. we got a couple more songs. Let us get a drink of water and catch our breath. Thanks. Like this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love the idea of a a non-planned like think about a band like maybe not strike anywhere. I guess it's more of like a rock and roll thing. Think of like when the Gaslight Anthem was first starting and we're right. like just getting popular to have people so frantic about something like that that they demanded more songs. That part I think is cool. If you plan for one, like the Misfits planned for one, you're like, "Oh, they didn't play Hybrid Moments yet." Right. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. If and like you, you play a set, you play all your songs, and like people are legitimately so like play fucking more songs. Like we all want to hear more songs. Like to me, being someone in an audience, I know like the band I'm going to see, and I know they haven't played like their main song. Right. So if they did play all their main like their hit songs and played like a normal set, and then everyone was like fucking keep playing then that feels like an encore to me. Like a natural encore makes sense to me, but a planned encore is goofy. Agree. I hate being in a band that's not huge. I hate when we play our set and someone's like, play another song, and everyone in the band's like, fuck, do we know anything else at this point? Like, these are the songs we had ready for you. We wrote a set. We had this amount of time. We did it. This is what we're here for. The, the promoter's sitting in the back like, fuck, please don't play any more songs. And people are some dude up front with a beer in his hand, half drunk, like, play another song. And if it's Lime, it's play The Misfits, play Slayer, play Anthrax, like calling out this dumb shit. But like, I don't know that. Like, I'm done. I'm tired. Get me off stage. I want to get sick. I want to go have a beer now. I'm trying to remember now if Slayer did an encore at the last, like, tour that I saw them on. I feel like they just like paused for a second, turned off their because they had pentagrams made out of fire. And I feel like they turned those off and then were like, "All right, here's a couple more." Without even saying that, they just did it because they barely talked the whole fucking time, like at all. It was perfect. Yeah. The, the coolest encore I have ever seen was years and years ago. We went down to Baltimore to see Sick of It All and H Two O, and I had had to be mid 2000s maybe early 2000s i know fat matt and chris and i went i feel like a few more people went and god it's at a venue that doesn't even exist anymore i don't even remember the name of it but so h2o finished their set and they definitely had a few songs left 
So to- Toby was like, hey, thanks, guys. And he went off stage and everyone else in the band just stood there. And one of the guitar players got a big smile. He walked up to the mic. He's like, hey, guys, Toby's gone. Now we can have some fun. And he started <laughs> playing um, oh, Black Sabbath. I think it's War Pigs. And they ran through that a couple times. Toby comes back on stage dressed in full Santa Claus costume and he just grabs the mic and on the Dennett, he started into my friends look out for me like family. And they did five, they did war pigs into five year plan, which obviously was planned, but was super fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Except like, that's pretty fucking cool. I, I would not be upset if that happened ever. Yeah, and I, I was also much younger, so that seemed even better to like somebody who was not nearly as jaded as I guess I am now. You're fairly unjaded as long as like you've been around though, so that's a that's a hell of a uh, thing to have because I feel like I was jaded by the time I was like twenty. Yeah, I just drink enough that I don't remember most of it. That was this year. I didn't break edge till I was twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awful. Uh, how's Lucera, Justin? It was fucking awesome. The so <laughs> I doubt it will get back to him. So the band that opened was Jade Jackson, right? It was a singer songwriter with a full backing band, and me and Lois and Aaron Parker from my country band Dead Belly went to see this show, and we're clowning on this guitar player because he's wearing a social distortion shirt. He's got rockabilly tattoos and like a cross on his guitar strap. Mm-hmm. And I keep, I've had like enough whiskey at this point. I'm daring Aaron to be like, when the song stops, just yell, God's not real dummy. Like, <laughs> at, like up on stage. at him. And we're like, how is this clown like wearing a social distortion shirt in 2020? It looks new. And then the singer, Jay Jackson is like, she's introducing the band members and let's call him Elliot for whatever reason. And she's like, oh, and our guitar player, Elliot Ness. And immediately we all pulled out our phones and Googled. And here the guitar player with a social distortion shirt on is Mike Ness's kid, which is like the only excuse to wear a social distortion shirt. It's like, I'm going to wear dad's band shirt. That's cute. Yeah. So this kind of circles back to the last conversation we had a couple weeks ago where the one guy from the Interrupters is Lars Fredrickson's son. And yeah, like, I guess, I guess we're at the age now where cool dudes from old bands have kids that are in bands that just aren't as cool. Well, it's Lucero has played with social distortion. So I don't like the thinking that they've been around long enough to take Mike's kid out on tour is a pretty wild, like yeah. to be standing on the side of the stage thinking that. In all fairness, we just interviewed nathan gray who is was in a band with his own son that's true that's true but i really ask him more about that but i didn't know how much oh my god um oh speaking of people people being in bands with their own kids so we're from central pa i'm sure you have mentioned that somewhere in the podcast before but for anybody listening outside the area a band from this area hailstorm oh Grammy award, Grammy award winning, right? Yeah, that doesn't mean they're good. They've been a band apparently since like the the girl was like old enough to pick up a fucking guitar. And there's a video floating around somewhere on the internet where uh, 
Heron Bobo at Fest this past year pulled it up, or maybe it was Travis. I don't remember. They pulled it up, and the girl is singing and playing guitar. The dad is playing a keytar, I think it was, or bass. One of them had a keytar, but the most impressive part is the, the brother playing drums. The drum is on this platform, and the mom is on the back uh, cranking this wheel, and the drum set just spins upside down. It's this homemade fucking contraption where this drummer spins upside down, and the kid's like swinging his head back and forth upside down, and the drum set. For those that can't see me because this is a podcast and not a, a video, he's literally just like he's swaying back and forth like he's like kumbaya in at a campfire or something. But it's the whole drum set that the mom's just rocking, and then she starts cranking the wheel, and he's spinning upside down like some shitty trick out of uh, Airheads. But you know, they can make bang bobblehead of that. Yeah, they could, but. <laughs> God, I wish I could find that video. I would send it to you guys right now. We would all laugh at it, but it's like a 10-minute video. They're a family band, right? And they're like multiple members of the same family in the band. Yeah, I think at this point, Dad is probably out. I think their last name is like Hale or something, and that's part of why it's like spelled the way it is. Uh, I could be wrong. I don't Um, care. We move on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I really just don't care about that band at all. I don't... Did you guys... Did you guys see uh, Green Day hanging out at the bar in Lancaster? Yeah. I think, I think you posted that, MC. Yeah, they... Uh, I'm pro. I, guess... I think it's cool. Don't... You're like thinking I'm going to poo-poo it or something. No, no. I think it's awesome. Um, I know they were up at um, Rock Lidditz. Rock Lidditz has apparently a huge stage where they test out like stage lighting, stage sound and stuff for touring bands. And that's why they were there. That's why they were in the area. And a lot of cool things about that. One, they went out and supported local businesses. Two, you know, they came to this area for their next tour setup, which is awesome. Just, you know, how great this area is for live music is, you know, getting national attention. And in all those pictures that people posted with Billy Joe Armstrong, he was wearing the Rock Lidditz sweatshirt. So, like, that that's getting a local company's name out there, which... I'm sure anybody that knows Green Day knows that they support a lot of cool stuff, despite being big rock stars. I mean, they played Gilman Street out in, what is it, Berkeley? Yeah. yeah. I don't know exactly where it is, but, you know, out in the in the East Bay and raised millions of dollars for that place by playing a few nights out there a couple years back. So, like, yeah, they're big rock stars, but they're still doing cool things for the little the little, the little people quite often. So that's cool. Also, I tried to... See if we could get them to play a surprise show at the garage, but no one got back to me. I think they were already back on the West Coast by the time those pictures were posted. Oh, probably. Uh, speaking of cool shit in the area, MC, what do you have at the garage? Uh, shows coming up. Um, I actually have a couple weeks off of shows yeah. at the garage. But um, I have a show on March 7th at JB Love Drafts. Uh, Fat Heaven from Brooklyn is coming back down with uh, Mob Mentality from Northeastern PA, uh, Light the Lamp, Hockey Punks from this area, as well as Old Tigers, Stephen and I's band. I feel like there's one more that I'm forgetting. And I f- Oh, Video Massacre. They're playing as well, so that's going to be a stacked lineup. And then I think you mentioned it the last podcast. We're playing with DOA up in Harrisburg on March 12th. Yeah. yeah. So those should be pretty cool shows. Well, you got Justin. Yeah. 
Do I have shows? Yeah, Dead Belly, are you going down? I actually, I actually do. Uh, Dead Belly's playing the Nitro Bar in West Reading on St. Patrick's Day with Big Green Limousine. You guys remember them? Jesus Christ. I remember the name. They were, they were good. I haven't seen them play in forever, but they were good. Okay. Maybe it's, what's that green jelly band or whatever? That's not the same. That's what I think of. Green je- Jelly is the, um, don't they have a song about the three little pigs? Yeah. I, no clue. They pig, played Harrisburg pig, recently. Did, oh, yeah? Did they really? Yeah, at the end of January, they played HMAC in the small room where we're going to be playing. <laughs> so. It, oh, yeah, that's well, that's where the queer show was, right? Yeah. There's a band called, like, like Middle-Aged Queers or something. Whoa. <laughs> and I just found it out, and I thought that maybe the queers just changed their name because they got older. Yikes. <laughs> but, uh, no. Being that it's 2020, if the queers were going to change their name because they got older, they should probably drop the queers part of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get that, like, in whatever, 1980 or 1982, when they started the band, they called themselves the queers because that's what the hicks at school called them. I mean, I get that. But, like, if you're going to change your name, that's the part that you should drop in the yeah. year That's like that uh, that Onion article. It's like Washington Redskins change your name to the D.C. Redskins. Yes, yes. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to give this band publicity, but here, here's their description. Um, Crawling out of the primordial ooze of punk past, middle-aged queers are a quartet of Jurassic punks barreling down Interstate 580 on a mission to save rock and roll with broken limbs and gear held together with duct tape. Oh, no. The, the only thing I got out of that is I want to know where Interstate 580 is, so I avoid it because it sounds like a bunch of geriatrics that can't drive. Yeah. Hot take. Sorry, middle-aged <laughs> queers. It's uh, in California. Well, they're from Oakland, so. Maybe they're nice people, but that band name sucks. And maybe they're also queer, and that's okay. But still, that's a stupid band name. Yeah. Should I call Mike and just ask him what's up with this band? Like, he should know everybody in the Oakland area? (laughs) Yeah, he probably probably does not know that band. That band is probably a little too punk for Mike. Yeah, I think I think I think Mike's uh, restaurant's a little too rich for their blood, probably. If I had to guess. Oh, it definitely is. That place is amazing. Well, I I don't even know. I went to I went to California for his wedding and didn't get to eat at his restaurant because we were hanging out and doing other stuff. And obviously, he doesn't want to go to work. Fair enough. The yeah. girls all went there and ate, and they loved it. It was. They said it was amazing. Who went? All the the girls, oh, girlfriends, okay. wives. Yeah. They all went there while we took Mike out for his bachelor party, which is a really weird thing when you take a straight edge guy out for his bachelor party. Everyone else has to get drunk. Oh, yeah. That's huh. Yeah. I feel like if Tommy Na had a bachelor party, though, it would probably be pretty wild for a straight edge guy. I yeah, think I mean, so. We, we had a pretty wild time. We we went hard. We went really hard. Uh, you I, want to tell a fest story about Tommy Na getting more wild than us at fest, Justin? I wasn't even there for the entire yeah. thing. You were there, MC, because I remember us walking back. You had the walkaway insurance, and yep. Tommy was totally sober, like yelling along the side of the street. And there was a cop there, and like Tommy was talking to the cop, and he was like, "I'm not even drunk." 
but he definitely <laughs> knocked someone's beer out of their hand at that's Halloween. what that's what i thought you were talking about he got in like a fight with somebody's boyfriend because he like bumped a drink or something yeah and he was the only sober one <laughs> didn't he also do a backflip from the hood of the car onto yes. the roof at the after party show that we got we drove the car to and got it stuck in a ditch in the parking lot yeah he did that. the you blew it generator show yeah the uh the only rule we had with that car because we didn't want to get pulled over was don't break any glass or lights <laughs> but it quickly became like as soon as somebody saw our car they just ran up and kicked a door or a fender or something <laughs> I, I still can't believe that like the walk away insurance just like the fucking jackass episode or whatever was it an episode or was it part of one of the movies it doesn't matter just like in jackass you can fucking get a car walk away insurance you pay for it it's expensive but no matter what happens to the car they're just like good you had the insurance have a good day and took the keys <laughs> and walked away not kind of bad that car was almost brand new it had less than twelve thousand miles on it oh and, my God. and everybody at fest that weekend knew like your car by sight so that they could like punch it as they walked down. Yeah, the street. I mean, it was a it looked like a typical rental car. It was like a white Ford Focus hatchback, and it had the the rental car company tag on the front because somehow in Florida we ended up with a rental car with PA tags. <laughs> <laughs> so like it stuck out like a sore thumb because it didn't have the the typical Florida plate and it had PA tags and it was a rental car. People thought we drove down there in that thing, which is wow. Should have just went with that story, actually. Uh, I didn't hit that car as much as I wanted, or looking back, I should have, you know? I yeah. remember the first time I kicked it, and I left a little bit of mud on it, and I'm looking, I'm like, oh, I didn't even dent it. And as I'm, like, wiping the mud off to see if I dented it, Boots just, like, came in and, like, do you ever see in 300 when that guy, like, kicks the guy in the chest with one foot and he falls <laughs> into the hole? Boots basically yep. did that to the co door of the car, and... Because Boots is small, that's like chest height for Boots. <laughs> Sorry, Boots, if you listen. Um, but yeah, he just fucking foot as hard as he could flat on the door and just dented it right in. And my eyes probably got as big as saucers like in a cartoon. And I was just like, and that is the point where nothing mattered to the car after that. Because once the first dent was there, it was on. Like we just, <laughs> we were fucking idiots. We had a straight edge driver, so we weren't driving around drunk in the car. We were just destroying the car every chance we got. <laughs> I, I like that you said when you took it back, it's like, oh, good you had the insurance. Because the, the first time Reservoir rented a car, I think I got it in York, Stephen. I don't know if you went with me to pick it up or not, but we had to rent it for the Case Racer Tour. And the guy was like, oh, if you get insurance, it covers this, this, or the other thing. And he had one of those... Uh, rulers it looks like the kind you take to go like lobstering or clamming you like measure a fish with the thing but it had circles yeah. in it he's like if the dent or whatever fits within this circle you won't be charged for it and i'm kind of an asshole so i was like oh so theoretically i could just hold this up and like jab it with a soldering iron over and over and it'd be fine because it fits in the hole and he's like please don't do that <laughs> oh so I had this whole story planned out when I returned my car because, I mean, it looked like a crowd of people ran over it. They uh, did. Basically. So for those that don't know, the fest happens in Gainesville every year, the same weekend that the Florida Gators play the Georgia Bulldogs at the neutral location of Jacksonville at the NFL stadium. 
So we told everybody, we told the lady at the airport because we flew out of Jacksonville that, yeah, we were in town for the game. And I guess like we parked in a bad area and fans of the other team did this to our car because we had memorabilia in the back window. And she, (laughs) I I don't think she cared about our story at all. She was just like, get out of here, you bunch of idiots. (laughs) But I had this whole story ready to go and like I didn't really get to use it the way I was hoping, but I thought I was clever. Yeah, that's a good idea. I remember you telling me that, me thinking like, damn, that's a like legit reason for that to happen. Yeah, that's like a real life cover story that could have happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also that year bought a sh- – dude, we set fireworks off inside of that car. <laughs> because on the way from Jacksonville to Gainesville, we stopped and got fireworks because – I, I don't because fireworks weren't legal in Pennsylvania yet. So it was like, we still had that novelty. And um, the lady there was like, I think she was flirting with all of us, but she kept, she was like, do you want the adult poppers? Cause Northern Florida is basically like Arkansas. And we're like, what's that? And you know, the little bang cap things, yeah. well, it's basically those, but they're like penny sticks. So when you throw them, it fucking rings your ears. Holy shit. We bought a bunch of those and a bunch of other fireworks. And, you know, we were setting them off like assholes. But all of a sudden, I think Mike Young was in the back seat and he just yells fire in the hole. He whips <laughs> one of those things at the windshield. And we, it's, it's Florida. It's October. We have the windows, windows up, AC on. It hits the windshield and instantly all of our ears are ringing. We're just like cursing each other. But it was great. We, we set them off in the windows. <laughs> um, like we put them in the window and then roll up the window so they just explode and burn the um, weather stripping and stuff. <laughs> I got dared to eat a whole bag of Doritos as my breakfast. And I was like, well, that's not even a dare. That's like a treat. Thank you. You bought me Doritos. Um, but I finished in the back seat of the car. And anybody that knows eating a full bag of Doritos knows that your whole hand is orange afterwards. I just took my hands like open fingers across the back of this black cloth interior poor poured focus i looked like like wolverine had dipped his claws in orange paint and just striped the back of the seat of this car oh, i felt man. so bad for whoever had to deal with that i don't think i'm allowed to rent from hertz anymore <laughs> so were they nacho cheese doritos yeah regular old nacho cheese doritos is that the classic. it's it's my go-to you're I think like spicy nacho as like a treat, though. Okay. So you're not a Cool Ranch guy? No, I mean, I don't dislike Cool Ranch. I'm not a big ranch person, but I do really like Cool Ranch Doritos. I like Cool Ranch Doritos with a dip. Okay. I don't like them as much by themselves. Were you a fan of the 3D Doritos? Ah, not really. They Were they the baked ones? They, they, like, just, they just, you bit they them. They had the air pocket in them. Yeah, yeah, they had an air pocket. Have either of you guys seen the the new High Fidelity series? No, I don't. I'm conflicted on it. Everyone that I respect says it's pretty good. I don't know that I needed it. I don't I was, think I needed it. I planned on. I plan on it though. Since I just finished the series and I I went in wanting to not like it because I love the movie, but I ended up liking the series a lot for a lot of reasons that come down to all my favorite scenes in high fidelity now become a full episode and can be fleshed out a lot better 
including um what, what is it i think it's a deleted scene that you can get on like the dvd cut of the movie where um rob goes to look at a record collection that somebody is selling because somebody there's a conflict and there's the hu- husband's like cheating around or something yeah yeah that sells all the that's in the book too see i never read the book but they do that as a whole episode, that scene. And in the in the TV show, it's different from the, the movie scene that I recall seeing on the DVD extras. But I just really like the way it's done. And there's so many cool references to the to the movie. And on top of that, tying it into punk rock and everything, there are a lot of small, smaller band references like in the show that can't go unnoticed if you're like active in the punk and hardcore scene. And for, Chris Bavaria pointed out to me that a lot of them are Richmond based bands like Iron Reagan and Municipal Waste. And he even mentioned a band that like has only played a handful of shows that was on one of the posters in the background. I think I saw like a large and grace poster and like, it's a lot of cool stuff for oh, that's pretty cool. big name production having. Now I wish some of the music would have been like, more edgy but they did a lot of stuff with like classic weird music there are a bunch of uh older tv executives that are still gatekeeping on a lot of that stuff but it's cool that the people that are writing tv and movies are people like our age now so that's where you're gonna i don't know i feel like that's where all the references come from and and zoe kravitz is the girl from fidelity's daughter right I think that's a whole tie-in too. I'm not sure. Her her name in the show is also Rob, right? Did yeah, I? Yeah, it's Rob for Robin. So they, okay. they gender flipped a couple of the roles, and um, I I just think it's so well done. They make it different enough that it feels original, but it also feels familiar, but not so, in like a I know this, I know where this is going kind of way. So are there? Uh... Are there straight parallels for all the characters in the movie? Like, is there a Barry and a Dick? Yes. Like, the, the characters are all there. Um, definitely altered a little bit from the movie. I don't want to go dropping spoilers. No, yeah. I haven't heard it or swatched it. But I think it's, it's well done, and it's not in any way, like, disrespectful to the, the movie. Or they don't just they – don't, it's not just a reshoot of the movie either. They definitely – take the movie and expand upon it enough to make it something original and worth watching. I was, okay. I, I was impressed. Like right. I watched two episodes the first night I sat down to watch it. And after the first episode, I had to watch the second episode because I was kind of dumbfounded that I liked it as much as I did when I kind of in the back of my mind wanted to not like it just because it was kind yeah. of a real. Yeah. My this biggest concern from, uh, and I mean, I told I think we talked about this last night my biggest concern about watching it was the characters in the movie are so like perfect that i didn't know that they could if they could do a tv show and pull off like replacing a john cusack and a jack black but it sounds like from like what you say they do a pretty good job so i'm gonna give it a shot i i need to renew my hulu i've i don't have it anymore but this episode brought to you by hulu and high fidelity Na- i, I honestly stream. think i honestly think it's not that they were just try to redo the characters they, they they do the characters with an original take i think if they had just tried to be like hey you're the jack black character it would have been bad right i i agree that's what i was worried about i think 
And I I love that's probably top five movies of all time for me. So I was worried about it. But, yeah. I mean, it doesn't erase the movie. The movie's always there, so I can like it or not. Yeah, yeah. and I'll, I'll be honest. All I could think about every time they said the championship records, all I could think about was the good old days of champ. I know. Yeah. Did they name it after championship yeah. records? And okay. Yes. Yeah. It was a direct reference to John cool. Cusack movies. I'm assuming I thought, I thought so. it's also named after High Fidelity because there's a championship in New Jersey as well now. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a. It's, it's like a bar venue, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. where? I have to ask Sawyer. Is that where Winter Jam was last night or this weekend? I that have, hard hardcore Winter Jam. I have no idea. Okay, there's a big hardcore show and Stoyer drums and Mush Mushmouth, and they played. I mix them up with Mushroom Head all the time. Not even a little bit the same. <laughs> we had a ska show or a ska band play at the garage this weekend, and I was kind of shocked how many people showed up and how much fun we had. Well, that was the uh, the choking victim guys. Yeah, it was oh, us. Nice. It was Squirt from Choking Victim fronting his new band, Public Serpents, and they were really good. Like I listened to them before they book, before booking them, obviously, but I didn't know what to expect in 2020 with you know yeah. members of Choking Victim bringing a ska band to York, Pennsylvania, and I mean, I you, I don't know. I we've had one other ska band play here in probably the past three years, and while they were great. It was a weekday show and not a ton of people showed up, but like we had a packed house. So are they are they that that style of ska, like the leftover crack style? Um they definitely do the punk ska, the like more upbeat, like kind of I in my mind I reference to like an against all authority type. Okay. Rather than a, like a real big fish. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not a real big fish. They they had some like more mid tempo parts, but it was mostly like the the more upbeat, faster drumming, faster picking. Speaking of fish. Oh yeah. This is a topic provided by my wife Lois. She thought we should talk about what the sexiest fish is. The sexiest fish. Yeah. Be prepared to back up your answer. I'm I already got my answer. The first thing I thought was how weird I feel saying the word sexy. It's a weird word to say out loud, huh? Oh, man. I, I'm actually having conflicted answers now that I'm thinking about it more. Guys, the uh, the sexy fish is a restaurant in London. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> I don't know many types of fish. I think that Dory is a much more attractive fish than Nemo. So whatever type of fish Dory is, I'm going to go with. The colors are more appealing to me. That's you're going to you're going to go cartoon fish right out of the gate. <laughs> to be what? fair, I was going to go with the cartoon fish as well. To be fair, um, something really fun that I realized when I looked at when I googled types of fish last time when Lois brought this up first. Um, the Google image search, right? It has like uh, different types under a photo of them. And a lot of them are them hanging out, swimming in the ocean, like, you know, a photo of a fish. And then when you get to Mahi Mahi, it's a cast iron pan with hunks of fish and lemons in it. <laughs> and all, all the rest of them are, 
Hold on. Like, this isn't this isn't gonna be good audio. This isn't gonna be good audio, but you guys should be able to. Can you see my Google now? Yeah. See how there's like all these fish. There's a guy holding that northern pike, and then here's Mahi Mahi in a pan. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking weird. Yeah, that's weird. It's like oh, this fish, you know, this, this fish is like only fish for food. A fucking flashlight on its on its like horn. The angler fish? Is that what that is? Yeah, those guys are isn't, cool. Isn't that the one that that you always see pictures of it? And in my mind, I'm thinking it's like about the size of a football. But then, like when they actually say it, like the angler fish is like four feet long. It's like yeah. the size. Of, it's like the size of like a Volkswagen that instead of a football. That fish is the sexiest fish to me. That's what I'm going with. Angler. See, when you guys said sexy fish, I instantly went to mermaids. And I was thinking of uh, the mermaids from Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. <laughs> now I'm thinking of the mermaid with the ginormous vagina in the lighthouse. <laughs> I still need to watch that. But uh, I, I need to I mean, watch I know it that those, again. Those mermaids in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean ultimately try to kill people. But I mean, you get you guys know how I am. That sounds fun to me. That sounds exciting. Yeah, I didn't see. I was curious. I didn't know if when I posed this question, you guys would go like, like phallic, like something eel shaped or or long, or if you'd go like blobfish or. I didn't know if an eel. Do or... sharks count as fish? Technically, they don't. But I'll let you. Like technically, I would be my favorite. I, don't I mean, think a fish. Is an eel a fish or is that? Like a sea snake. It's an eel of fish. <laughs> oh, you guys are still seeing my screen, huh? Yeah, I like it. An eel is a fish. I don't is think a shark a fish. I feel like a shark's still a fish. I think an eel is a sea snake. I would disqualify eel. Sharks are a group of elasma branch fish categorized by a cartilaginous skeleton. Five to seven gills on the sides of the head and pectoral fins. See the third picture there. That's a sexy fish. And just the, even the second one, but the third one looks a little tougher. Like nothing gets me going like pectoral fins. So yeah. you uh, you interpret toughness as sexiness, MC. You want? Oh yeah, I kind of have a little toughness. You want a shark lover that'll beat you up a little bit. Yeah. Um. So you guys, I mean, people probably know me know i like sharks a lot i have a stuffed shark that i named frank years ago and when i was bored and lonely i guess i used to set frank up around my house and take pictures of it and post it on the internet and be like god damn it I, like i acted like frank was like a bad roommate and like i had one where frank was like passed out on a couch with a bunch of empty beer cans but my favorite one is i pulled up a picture of uh, a shark breaching from like the discovery channel one of the discovery channel series and I set I set uh, Frank up on a computer chair with a thing of lotion and tissues in front of him. Oh no! And I took a picture. I was like, I caught Frank looking at porn on my computer. So it's like a, a it's like a filthier Shark Week version of Elf on the Shelf. Yeah. Hey, Justin, can you uh, introduce the interview. Sure. All right. This week's interview is with a. Uh, Keith Sidorowicz from Energy and Ambitions. They played drums in those bands. A touring uh, they, session drummer. They were also in Hostage Comp, that last record. 
All right, let's go to the interview. It's it's going. Uh, I just got done with some really good in uh, General So's chicken at the spot called uh, Avitsoku. It's uh, on Morgan Avenue in Bushwick, and it was phenomenal. That's good. At least you're full and ready ready to go. <laughs> well, I was informed because I've had like friends do these type of interviews and podcasts like on an empty stomach. And they always told me it would, like, give them so much, like, anxiety and just also make them very irritated. And they would give some really, like, hostile, like, answers. So I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the hangry motherfucker, like, you know, biting at you for no reason. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to have, like, a legit meal. And it was it was the best. It's like those Snickers commercials where it's Danny DeVito, but then that's not what the actual person looks like. Exactly. Oh, wow. I have not heard anyone reference that in forever. <laughs> but I, I appreciate that reference. Also, I would kill for being in Snickers right now. I wish that existed. Oh, yeah. There's got to be especially some. The, especially the ice cream one. Like somebody on my Instagram feed, I'm one of my friends from like the west coast posted like an in an insta story of them having like the snickers ice cream and like obviously it's not vegan but i like looked at that and i was like god damn it i wish this were vegan i fucking that if i had to pick one thing that i missed it would be like that in the choco taco which interesting choice of two things that i wish were vegan but and they're both <laughs> ice cream based so i can't believe that the market for vegan candy hasn't been taken advantage of yet yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, you got Oreos, and that's not candy. That's like a cookie. And it's, like, wild how many varieties are now, like, vegan. Obviously, like, Oreos is a company that's, like, considered accidentally vegan, or who knows? Maybe they're, like, concealing it, and, like, they knew this all along. And they're just like, all right, you know, we're going to... We're going to do this thing and uh, everyone's going to be like, wow, shit. And then especially when they were like loading up, uh, you know, the the filling in between now. Now it's like massive. Now it's not. It's like quadruple stuffed. <laughs> how, <clears throat> how long do you think it is before Oreo gets on the train and starts advertising themselves as vegan? Or do you think they fly under the radar <laughs> the entire time? Um, I think it's going to be similar to the connection that ICP has with Fago. Like, Fago <laughs> doesn't acknowledge ICP, but, like, apparently they have, like, an incredible business relationship. Like, they send each other, like, flowers on holidays and stuff like that. But, like, exclusively, since, like, Fago is considered, like, a family drink, they, they'll, like, in interviews be like we you know do not represent icp but then like behind the closed doors they're like you know like shaking hands and like kissing babies together and all that stuff yeah so but oreo doesn't want to lose like the flyover state folks by advertising again but... dead ass that's exactly but you know what like they're they know what they're doing oh absolutely they had so much fago when they played um well not here but near here that uh the ceiling was leaking into the bottom floor venue with Fago when ICP played there. <laughs> what venue did they play? 
It was the Chameleon Club in like. Oh, damn! I haven't played there in like years. Yeah, so they have like a downstairs venue, and then that night the Fago was literally leaking through the floor to the ceiling of the Lizard Lounge. <laughs> Do you think Oreo will make a Fago flavored Oreo? I honestly am a bit surprised that hasn't happened yet. Do they? They have like an orange creamsicle one, but I don't think it's associated with any kind of large soda. Like it's not like Fanta Oreo or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Huh. But I mean, maybe Fago's the one to break the that seal. It's 2020, and a lot of things are messed up right now. But hey, at least we have like these like wild food options that keep popping up. So that's one thing. Oh, for sure. Like, it sucks that, like, our world is, like, on fire and, like, falling to pieces, <laughs> but it's, like, at least we have these, like, killer fruit options, and they keep popping up. So, it's, like, if we're going to go down in flames, we might as well, like, stuff our asses pretty well, so. <laughs> yeah, if we're all going to burn, we might as well eat Burger King. <laughs> yeah, those impossible options, like, they saved my ass, like, when I'm in the Midwest or the South on tour, like, that dropping was just, like... It was like a godsend. I was like, you know what? I, I, I back this. Well, before it used to be like one sandwich at Subway or ta- <laughs> or, or Taco Bell if you sub literally everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the thing with like Taco Bell is like they're even like getting on the whole like vegan thing with, you know, because they're actually eventually going to have legit Taco Bell vegan menu. Like Del Taco's already on that, like like with like the Beyond Meat and by the way, like every time on the West Coast that, that shit is still unreal to me that I can go to Del Taco and get like a beyond beyond like epic Cali burrito and it sounds as epic as the name. <laughs> and it oh, like yeah. tastes like it's My- it's the best shit ever. My wife and I were on our honeymoon in Las Vegas, and we got to get beyond Del Taco, like, in Las Vegas on the Strip. It was ridiculous. This is the second Del Taco mention on the podcast out of <laughs> three episodes, and I feel like maybe we can work on a sponsorship now. Yo, I mean, I want some free Del Taco out of this. I mean, that's that's why I'm talking to you, Drew. <laughs> yeah, they need a version of when Taco Bell did Feed the Beat and they sponsored bands. Like, there needs to be a Del Taco version of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, honestly shocked and appalled that this has not happened yet. <laughs> but also, it's interesting how you mentioned the Del Taco in Las Vegas, because every time I play Vegas, that's the only place I eat at. That makes sense. I feel like it there's is, a lot of food options in Vegas, but also, like, not for vegans, probably. They also really- have vegan spots, but, like, they're outside of, like, that whole trip. And it's – whenever I play Vegas, I'm always with, like, an artist or a band that once they get to the venue, like, they don't go outside or they just get on their type, type, type on the laptop, whatever, you know, do your thing. But it's just, like – Whenever I play a city, I like to explore all like the the vegan options of the world. So it's just when you're playing Vegas, and you he's like legit vegan establishments, but they're like 20 minutes outside of like the actual like area that you're playing, and it's also just a shit show navigating around there. But hey, I I dig Vegas. I like playing there. It's not like the greatest show every time I play there, but that's because all that like. Cr- 
craziness going on. There's just so much. It can be overwhelming, but uh, there's something very charming about it. I can't explain it. I like being there. It's such a wild town, and the idea of shows there is weird because when you're there on vacation, you're like, oh, people only come here to visit. Like, no one lives here, but obviously it's not yeah. true. People have to work there, but, like, it doesn't have that vibe of a home city for anybody at all. Oh, yeah, that is, like, highly accurate. It's really – it's funny because actually one of my favorite shows I've ever was in Vegas, but it was, like, also, like, outside that whole area. But it was in uh, 2008. I was drumming for the Seattle band Wait and Bane, and we played a one-off show with Tragedy at, like, this coffee shop. And one of my best friends, Jen, booked the show. And to this day, like, I talk to her, like, every other day. But uh, we played a coffee shop with Tragedy, and not only – was like the set we played really good but like obviously tragedy like headlining the gig was amazing but the the best memory i have of that show there was probably like a hundred plus people that paid but the coffee shop was still open so there were people like on computers like doing like their work (laughs) while tragedy played everything and so tragedy was playing and there was like a circle pit around like (laughs) like coffee area and I just remember laughing my ass off just watching tragedy rip it up and like all these crusties cir- circling around like these people on laptops drinking their lattes and just pretending like nothing is <laughs> happening or like they're just so glued into their work. But to this day, I have that image in my head and it still just cracks me up every time I think about it. <laughs> so hold the phone here. You... Drummed for Wait in Vain on a tour in 2008. Correct. Did you play the house show in York? Absolutely. I don't even think I remember meeting you there. I was about to say, like, I was thinking about it early on the L train. I was like, when did I meet Steven? Like, my first memory, it bear with me it's it's been a lot of years a lot of tours forgive me if i'm wrong but it's like i think energy was the first time i met you yeah it would have been energy yeah well i guess technically wait in vain but we didn't know that yeah so i have like a very fuzzy memory of the york show on that tour i remember just staying at somebody's like apartment and it was in a weird like downtown not downtown neighborhood but like i just remember waking up in this weird apartment and not knowing whose house we were staying that was at or something like that and then we what's that i think that was probably uh my friend matt apol he lived down he was one of the only people who could afford to live in downtown york at that time and his apartment was fairly weird yeah it was a very strange place it was comfy like i slept really well but i remember just like waking up and be like who the hell are you people <laughs> like not to be like all rude or anything i was just startled because i think like we got in like super late and we stayed there like the night before but i was just so and like sleep deprived from like the night before that i just woke up and i was like who the hell are you people but like they're super, super cool and they like Took us to that burrito spot, Raw Burritos, I think it was called. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the spot. And I remember, like, just getting rung up, like, $1 for, like, six <laughs> burritos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nick, or, no, Nick probably wasn't in New York at that time. A bunch of our friends worked there, so every time. Yeah, cause came- I, yeah, I met Nick in uh, Charleston, actually, the next year. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's not, well, yeah, because Nick, Nick, I guess, knew you guys from booking you in Charleston or whatever, and then him and I were in a band together, and he always... Reignition, right. Yeah, and he always seemed to get us on <laughs> every show you guys played whenever you were touring somewhere on the East Coast. <laughs> Anyone in South Carolina, or I think Florida, we played together, too. Somewhere up north, too, because we stayed at Dan's house when we played. Oh, oh my... I loved... Dan's house in Sharon, Massachusetts. That spot was great. The basement was really dark, and I could have slept all night and day and not woken up. I slept in that basement every like time that I would commute to the South Shore of Massachusetts to like begin a tour of energy or like rehearse with them. And that basement was just beautiful. But like to this day, I've gotten the best sleep of my life down there. Dan Mancini's family were just sweethearts like dan's mom always cooked me like a very very good meal and like always drove me back to the train station so i could get back to boston and it, it was a great experience like i love the mancini family so they probably won't listen to this but if they do <laughs> which would be tight I, I love you all <laughs> i love that punk tour is the kind of thing that you've now referenced two times that you slept really well, and those seem to be very like clear in your memory, because punk tour is usually not sleeping well, that anybody can just be like, oh, I had the best sleep of my life in that dark basement. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty refreshing feeling, like going on the road and knowing that you're able to like sleep you know i I'm, I'm the happiest when I'm on tour, so I'm even content just like sleeping in the corner, I don't know, like a screen printing shop, and I've done that before, but I'm just like, yo, I just rocked this really fucking awesome gig, I hung out with these really cool people that I didn't know before, but now we got into some like crazy antics and, you know, just the feeling of like, being in a comfort I'm the type of individual where you know, I don't need a fucking bed to get a good sleep i just need to like feel comfortable and relaxed and like you can place me wherever the hell as long as i'm happy and relaxed like i i'm ready to like just get a good night's sleep and a lot of people that i know they don't sleep well on tour so that's where i'm most at home is on the road so that's how i'm able to get like a, a good sleep because i'm like this is the best life ever <laughs> <laughs> so Obviously, you have like years and years of touring and sleeping in weird places. What's the worst place then that you can remember sleeping on tour? Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, there are quite a few experiences that I've had. Uh, I mean, if you really wanted to know, like a lot of them could be here all night talking, but. <laughs> I would probably lose my voice from, like, telling you all, like, the wild spots. Um, there, there was this floor in that I slept on when I filled in for Versa on a tour in, like, January of 2008, I believe. I think that's the correct time frame. Yeah, let's just say it is. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was like the second or third night of the tour and the promoter put us up in their condo which was like really beautiful but the only like bad thing about it was like it was cement floor and uh. none of us like had, had any like sleeping bags or anything like that 
and I had to just get sweat, put it on cement floor, and I had to like just kind of curl up like a cat. But I was like shaking constantly because there was no heat in the room that in in the room that we were staying in. But but it was fucked up because I looked around the room we were staying and they they had like all these like crazy sculptures and like it was like a ball you know like condo and I I just remember being on this concrete and just thinking to myself how could a place be so like glamorous and beautiful but also so fucking miserable at the same time because like <laughs> i was just on this concrete floor like using a hooded sweatshirt as like a bed like i had to like maneuver it away where i could actually like lie down on this hoodie but also use it as a blanket because there was no heat in this room which also contributed to me getting sick that night and i remember <laughs> the next night I forgot what show it was, but I remember we had like a 12 hour drive, but I had such a high fever and I was so achy that I had to like sleep in the top bunk of the van and I slept through the whole drive. And then when we got to the show, I went immediately to the dream room and everyone in the tour package made me like this kind of like makeshift, like you get well bed, like kind of like the best way you still have to play this show but you have to rest so so remember just like falling asleep as soon as i got into the green room and then as soon as i woke up sean the vocalist hey we set up your drums you have to get up on stage and play right now i'm really sorry to break that news to you and it was also like two in the morning because obviously every show overseas starts super fucking late because of just that's just how it is over there so right. I don't know what the hell compelled me, but I just got out from this bed, like ran down three flights of stairs, got on my drums and just ripped the hell out of this gig and like played like phenomenal. But as soon as I was done, I went back up to the like hostel and just like passed the fuck out. <laughs> and like I was just covered in sweat. I was like, I'm gonna go to the hospital. I'm gonna like die in Europe. That's how <laughs> bad I felt. But then like two days later, excuse me, two days later, I was all good again. But I don't know how that segued into that. But I guess the answer to your question was that cement <laughs> in France. And I'll put it this way: that was even worse than the time I had to sleep on a pile of like shirts at a screen printing place. <laughs> in daytona beach florida in the that was window and just waking up to the sun baking me at like seven in the morning and it was all degrees and just on a pile of shirts like i'll take that over <laughs> like the fancy condominium in france where i got like really fucking sick and just was like I, yeah so everyone has their own version of like what's miserable like Something can be luxurious. There's like, like one thing is missing, and that night was definitely like the heat and just the proper like source of like blanket. Like that can just like fuck up everything. So, <laughs> I remember on a reservoir tour, we stayed in somebody's apartment where they were completely redoing, like remodeling it, and we uh-huh. had to s- scoot like piles of like circular saws and sawdust out of the way to like sleep on the wooden planks oh shit <laughs> did i sleep there yeah you did it was a place i had the weird shower that the wall only went up to like your belly button so everyone was showering like behind this tiny wall but there was no curtain or anything 
I don't remember that. It was on the Case Racer tour. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> I, I just, in sure my, my mind, I'm picturing a guinea pig cage, and, like, I just remember the shavings <laughs> of this guinea pig that I had as a kid named Chester, and he would just run around, like, kicking us, like, at the bottom of the cage, and that's just what I picture you, like, nestled, like, on <laughs> these, like, wood shavings, like a guinea pig. Well, now I'm picturing Chester having, like, all the little, like, dressings for his cage, but it's, uh... Like tiny circular saws and power equipment. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, so Chester lived nine years, and I'm not fucking around with that, which is apparently like very rare for a guinea pig. Yeah, oh, mine wow. like too. So, so I put it past Chester, RIP, wherever the hell you are, um, that. You know, if given the opportunity that Chester would be smart enough to actually, like, operate tools. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like someone needs to draw a comic strip of that. Um, I can make that ha happen. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Um, right <laughs> now? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Whenever. Whenever you're bored. <laughs> If if I had known that, I actually would have done like a legit Skype session where you could actually like see me and I could do some like Bob Ross shit. That would Throw like a happy little guinea pig like running around like with like you know like a Home Depot Depot like electric saw or something like that. Well, we'll do that. We'll do a second one. We'll do we'll have a walk through guinea pig drawing. Okay. Yeah. So where did you grow up, Keith? New York. Oh, so you grew up in New York? Well, there's like a lot of things um, with my uh, uh, upbringing. So, like, I was born in Queens, and then I uh, spent a lot, a lot of my childhood there. My mom ran a dry cleaners called Martin's Dry Cleaners. And so. That was a lot of fun. I got into some really cool stuff as a kid, especially through my mom. That's where I acquired my love for music because I just have incredible memories to this day of just my mom coming home from like a 16-hour workday at her dry cleaners. And she would just open a bottle of wine and, and just blast music. And the first like record I remember, like my my mom blasting that like as a kid that I could actually store in my memory was Patti Smith Horses. She had it on cassette and as soon as like the song Gloria kicks in it's just like it starts with that like soothing piano and then just like Patti's voice and the whole song just like builds up. I just remember sitting on the couch one night after my mom busted her ass at the dry cleaners and she just like has a box of red and she's like singing and word like perfectly and to this day like i still have that cassette because like when my mom saw that i loved, loved music so much especially like patty smith like eventually my mom like passed down that cassette she's like i'll get a new one you can have this one so i have so many great memories of like being a kid and just in like the living room of Jackson Heights, just like watching my mom rock out to like really good music. So when did you find uh, punk and hardcore then? 
Um, so I found punk through hip hop, actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I had a cousin named Steven. That's actually his name. Like you. Good guy. Um, <laughs> and he he was a skateboarder. And he was a skateboarder that was very ahead of his time because, like, all the local skaters, they were, like, listening to punk. Like, obviously, like, the, you know, essentials, like, Black Flag and all that good shit. He loved that stuff, but he was also, like, heavily into hip-hop. So on the weekends, there was, like, a skate ramp in our neighborhood, and all, like, the local kids would take turns, like, playing cassettes. And then Steven, and he would always be the one that busted out like a tribe called quest KRS one all that good stuff and a lot of like our peers would like give him crap for that and he would be like no what the fuck are you talking about this is the shit like you cannot get on your board and just fucking like in the groove of things and you know steven was right so that segues into me discovering punk through the beastie boys because my really good friend that's the time michael his brother sean was in a punk band called free beer fuck you and <laughs> after after school we would all skate on mike's block called uh t-neck and so one afternoon we're all like skating and we were obsessed with the beastie boys record check your head like um and obviously, the Pass the Mic was a big favorite because it was amongst the singles that were out at the time. And I just loved this, like, repetitious, like, guitar part. And I kept, like, playing Pass the Mic. And every time that, like, jam, 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 like, came on, like, I would be on my skateboard, like, sitting down, just, like, air guitar. And then Sean was just finally like, you know, that's not a Beastie Boys part. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, they sample stuff. I'm like, yeah, but, like, you know, they play their instruments. Because in my head, I'm, like, thinking, like, check your head. Because the album cover has all three of them sitting with, like, their guitars and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, they, you know, they also, like, do, like, jazz instrumentals and stuff like that. He's like, no, no, no. But, like, that sample, that's not the Beastie Boys. It's a band called Bad Brains. And I'm like, what? He's like, turn it off. I'm going to show you where that came from. So we went into Sean's room. And he busted out the Bad Brains Royer Sessions. And he put on the big takeover where that guitar sample came from. And he's like, just he's like, just listen to this. And like we all know the song with like the drum build up and just like the crazy feedback. And then finally when that guitar kicks it. And then as soon as like that guitar kick, I'm like, oh there fuck, there it is. But then after that, my world was, like, completely flipped upside down. Like, I didn't realize people could play that fucking fast. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And then, like, guitars, vocals, I'm just, a human is capable of, like, belting this shit out. And I was just like, after that song was done, I'm like, play me more. Play me more. And so he just started it from the end. He's like, I'm going to let you just, like, sit with this record for a bit. And he went outside and, like, smoked a cigarette and stuff like that in between skating. And Mike and I just sat there, and we were just like, the fuck is 
this. And I remember picking up the and looking at the artwork of just like the Capitol building, like getting hit by the lightning, by the lightning bolt. And I'm just like, sign me the fuck up. And after the record was done, Sean came back in and it's like, I have like a bunch of dubbed copies. He's like, this one's yours. And he throws me like a dubbed copy of like Bad Brains. But also on that tape was other stuff. It was, uh, it was Bad Brains, Minor Threat, Operation Ivy, and Snapcase. Oh, he hooked you up? Oh, oh, shit. Oh, he hooked me the fuck up. So yeah. I just went home. I didn't do any homework. That, and not only was I listening to the Bad Brains, I was listening to, like, all that shit on that tape. And, and then every fucking day, like, Sean would just give me a new tape because in his room, he just had, like, so many cassettes. It was like, what the fuck? And it was all, like, tape sharing, like... Because obviously in his band, you know, they were gigging like at ABC Maria and like other spots in New York City. So, but like kids were doing like tape trades and stuff like that. And even in skateboarding, they had like the Thrasher tapes, and everyone would be like, "Oh, I just got like the new like Thrasher tape." It would have like instead and like no for an answer and all that stuff. And it would just be a constant like rotation of like, oh, "I heard this tape. I'm gonna pass it. I'm gonna take in this tape and." That's how I got into punk and hardcore was, you know, just through listening to the Beastie Boys, like, on, like, the curb of, like, T-neck with my friends, and not even, like, just from that sample, like, how my world just would explode. So when did you start playing drums then? So that also goes back to the Beastie Boys. <laughs> um, so... Through my cousin being, like, so into hip-hop, he would just, like, show me stuff. And the first tape that I actually purchased on my own through, like, lunch money was Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. And and, uh, the opening song, Shake Your Rump, has that fucking, like, legendary, like, snare, uh, like, drums from Funky Snakefoot and I just remember hearing that like like jazz saying this is fucking cool and one day I just set my mom's tubware to what I thought looked like a drum kit and even though I couldn't play that, that Funky Snakefoot like drum sample I was like figuring out how to just keep a beat along with the song and in the midst of that my mom walked in like on a lunch break because it was on a weekend and she, she was watching me from like the playing on this like makeshift drum kit that I had from like this tubware and then as soon as the song was done I was like rewinding the tape and I turned around and I saw my mom in the door and I, I was like oh fuck I'm in like big shit like I'm in such like best of my mom's kitchen work because I was like mad young and she's like you're actually holding a beat and I'm like I'm trying <laughs> and my mom was just like this is really cool like I didn't know you were this into music to where you actually want to be a musician and again I was just like I'm trying and my mom's like 
how about this? I get you a real drum kit so you don't destroy my kitchen like where? <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, that's cool of me because like, that's that's how bad I wanted to play drums. That's how much I love music because I'm like, you know, when you're setting up like pots and pans and tableware, like that's like telling like your your mom something that like you want to do this. <laughs> So it it was fate. Like even if I did get in trouble, fuck it. Like, but my mom was like types because I don't know. Even at a young age, I think she was like worried because I didn't really have that like much interest aside from just like skateboarding and uh, you know just getting in trouble. <laughs> I think a lot of us can <laughs> relate to that. <laughs> so, uh, what's your? Do you have a preferred coffee brewing method? Steven said you might be a, a bit of a uh, coffee enthusiast. So, I can ask um, about so that. it's interesting. Over the years, a lot of people have tagged me as like a coffee snob, but like I'm here to actually deliver the truth. Honestly, if I can drink the coffee black, then it's good for me. But I'm not like one of these like, like you know, coffee snobs that were like, it has to be like freshly squeezed out of like a bean and through like. <laughs> this little module that takes like 20 minutes to brew like one cup of coffee honestly if i just show up to a coffee spot and i like the coffee i'll keep going there like i have my favorite coffee shops but i mean i feel like as i've like you know moved on in life too that it, it it's more than just like drinking the coffee i also need to be in a good atmosphere for example my favorite coffee's but in New York at the moment is Cafe Vita, which is like right down the street from this really good venue called Elf. And I like it because it's quiet. The coffee's really good because Cafe Vita originated from like the Pacific Northwest and like they migrated out here because they have two locations. But to me, I enjoy coffee the best when I'm like at peace and like not in a room of people like typing aggressively or like shouting <laughs> like it's a bar. Because there's this, like, new kind of, like, coffee shop, like, vibe where I feel like I'm at an actual bar serving alcohol, but instead it's just caffeine. But, like, like, it kind of defeats the purpose. So I'd much rather go to, like, a coffee shop where the coffee is, like, you know, decent over, like, these really, like, snobby coffee places where, oh, like, this coffee won, like, this crazy award or or I don't know but I don't I think I got a little carried away with that but I guess like what I'm trying to get at I'm not a a coffee snob if I like it I drink it Uh, I was I was hoping you would go go big on that question I didn't I I didn't come into this assuming you were a snob Stephen just said you were potentially an enthusiast. And as a French press enthusiast in the mornings, I uh, was curious if you had a home a home ritual or anything. Well, the thing about that is I don't get to make coffee in the morning these days because uh, I'm constantly traveling. Have, that makes like, sense. Home right now. Right. <laughs> waking up at one. With that? Or waking up at one. <laughs> Well, I've actually been waking up pretty early, so. <laughs> oh, you got that? You got that down? <laughs> um, you know, I I I guess eventually you have to 
throw up a little bit and <laughs> it's been taking me much longer than most of my peers but uh yeah lately i've been waking up at like it varies like my later day has been like like 10 a.m 11 but then like early could be like 6 a.m you know it, it depends what i have going on for the day but yeah i'm slowly becoming like an adult <laughs> and i emphasize i emphasize slow like in the way of like a lot of my friends like my age are just you know doing the family thing which i think is fucking cool it's just not for me but i think i'm finally coming around to a lot of responsibilities i have dodged from being like a touring musician like for the past 15 years it's a good thing i welcome the change but uh one step at a time yeah i can hear my child screaming right now up two floors so. <laughs> uh, miss those days <laughs> <laughs> i mean but yeah co but... coffee's awesome and i don't care how it's brewed i just wanted to taste good that's a good stance i approve of that yeah because i always think of that meme where it's like it has all the coffee coffee methods like who hurts you and it's just like the <laughs> it's like the freaking uh what the hell is that thing a lot of the boomers use it it's like the k-cups or something oh like the that. the keurig yeah yeah that keurig that's the name i'm looking for but uh yeah, it's like who hurts you, and then like the the pour over was like something like you have like a lot of like psychological issues. I don't. I'm like blanking out. I have to look at the meme to really remember it. But like, yeah, I just like looked looked at. It. I don't really identify with any of these. I again, as long as the coffee tastes good, I don't give a fuck how it's like made. I mean, I'd like hope it's ethical, but you know. A lot of people get a little too carried away with it, and it like turns me off. I get that. Yeah. How did? When did you uh, join Ambitions? Let's go that route. Um, two thousand six. Did you? Were you on the the first EP, or did you just join for Stranger? Um, I joined right after that EP was recorded. Okay. Um. So. Here's how I got in the band. I was playing in a band called Thieves and Assassins at the time, and the band was becoming like pretty inactive, like just playing locally, as opposed to like where the band was like touring nonstop like the year before. And I was kind of like tired of it. And actually, you know, I went on over to Seattle to play with Wait in Vain in 2005 because Thieves and Assassins wasn't touring, and I just wanted to keep touring because. So what the fuck am I going to do? It's like, I want to play music constantly. So when I came back from Seattle, um, there was a With Honor show where they were playing with Strike Anywhere. I think it was like a week tour that they did. And I remember the Aust brothers, Jay and Jeff, had like a bunch of demos for this and ambitions. And Jay was like, I think you would like really like this project we're working on. I think at the show, I was wearing like a Dag Nasty shirt or something like that, and Jay was just like, "Here, check it out. It's like new project with my brother and then John. Like John played drums and bass. I was like, oh, cool.' And so I went home and I put on the demo, and I was like, 
this band is fucking sick. It was like everything I wanted to like have from a hardcore band, like a lot of melodic elements and then like a major like post hardcore but also alternative rock influence in the band. Right. And so what I did was I just learned the demo fun because the songs were just like a blast of fun. and I didn't even have intentions to join the band I was just a fan of the you know, I was like these songs are just really fun to play and so I eventually like departed with Thieves and Assassins in like the spring of 2006 and my last show with Thieves and Assassins was uh with like Blacklisted with Honor and some of them I'm blanking down on but I remember before the Thieves and Assassins set, I was like talking to the Oss Brothers and I was like, yo, thank you for sharing that demo with me. I love the song. So I'm like, not to be corny, they're so much fun. I actually learned the songs on drums because they're just really. And then Jeff, like, his face lit up and he like looked at me. He's like, actually, we need a drummer because. John wants to switch over the bass. And I'm like, no shit. And they're like, do you want to come up to Connecticut next weekend and audition? And I was like, absolutely. And so what happened was the next weekend, I got up to Connecticut with my gear and we set up at their practice space. We just ran through the demo and then we played a Misfits cover Astro Zombies, I believe. And then after running that a few times, they were just like, do you want to play two shows this weekend? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And like my first show with them was in Broxton, Massachusetts with Go It Alone. And then the next day we played Maine, somewhere in Maine, and it was like one of Cruel Hands' first shows or something like that. And then we messed so well that like after the main show before I was heading back to New York they were just like yeah we really like playing with you like let's keep doing this and I was like absolutely and then before I knew it we did a tour with uh, Have Heart, Verse and Shipwreck and then that went really well and it was very overwhelming with the response we were getting on that tour like people actually knew the band like they were coming out, out to see us but Tommy played the last show of the tour. It was back to school jam. Uh Bridge not and was there and they like were very very impressed with our set. And a month, month later or no, it was uh, actually the because it was December they 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 rolled to a show where we played with Kill Your Idols and like they gave us the contract and I actually have a good memory of that contract because um we were negotiating it while Kill Your Idols was playing and I remember I wanted to like go off to Kill Your Idols and I like diving but then like during the Kill Your Idols set I remember getting hit in the face by somebody and then I had to like get a towel because I was like bleeding and, and like I think it was Jeff or Jay like came back into the venue and they're like, Keith, we need you to sign the contract because like Chris is here and you have to sign it because we're going to put our record out, our full length record on Bridge Nine. I was like, okay. So I go to where like Chris Wren is and I have like this towel on my face and I'm bleeding and I signed the contract. <laughs> it was like 
a few pages, but there's blood on that contract because my <laughs> I didn't have time to like wash my hands. So technically, I signed the bridge nine <laughs> contract with my blood. It's a blood oath. So yeah, that's uh, that's how I ended up in ambitions just because I wanted to keep touring and it wasn't happening. And with band, you know, I was doing it with that at the time, like, you know, in the New York, Long Island area. So it was like, fuck it. If I have to travel to do this, I will. And that was evident when I played with Wayne in band in 2005. Um, there's just something about ambitions that I, I, I love Wayne in band, but like that was a, more of Tim's thing. Like, I felt like with Ambitions, it was like a big collaboration with like all of us. Like it started obviously with the with Honor guys, but then it was like when I joined the band, and then one of my very good friend, good friends, Jake Woodruff, who also plays in. Hi, Jake. If you're listening, I love you. Um, when we joined, it just made the band like this completely different like machine. Because with Stranger, I, I'm very, like, proud of that record, but I think it was a little too much for the average listener. I don't mean to, like, sound conceited, but there were a lot of, like, rock influence songs that I think went over a lot of people's heads. But at the end of the day, so be it. I'd rather put out something that's, like, creatively fulfilling than something that gives the people what they want but leaves you feeling empty. <laughs> Right. No, totally. And I, especially around that time, I can see where people might be thrown off by, because a lot of hardcore around that time was very straightforward and you guys were like pretty melodic. So I, and I do remember, I think I, I only saw you guys once, but it was at the second, this is hardcore. And I remember, Oh, that was great. Yeah. That being one of like the best, that's only this is hardcore. I went to <laughs> ever, but that being like one of the best sets of the night and being like, Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's where I got like the record for the first time, and I was just like shocked. But I thought, uh, <laughs> I thought, uh, yeah, I, more people, like you know, who are there for Agnostic Front. I feel like Agnostic Front played that day. They're totally not going to get it. But it's it's cool because when we played this as hardcore, I have like a great memory of that set. Like, I remember people being really into it, and especially, like, Joe, he's always been, like, super supportive since, like, day one. Because uh, the f first time I ever met Joe, he booked that verse Have Heart Shipwreck tour. And, you know, I don't expect anyone to, like, a band, whatever. But, like, it was really cool, like, playing on stage at the Unitarian Church and, like, watching, like, Joe, like, go off to our music and sing along. It was like, this is really fucking cool and then like he liked us so much and put us on this is hard and uh yeah it's like little things like that that you just go home feeling be like all right this this very, very uh highly respected likes band and it's yeah i don't know it's a, it's cool a funny joe hardcore story um he booked reignition one time and we had our guitarist name was colby and the guy who also ran um, Championship in Lemoyne, PA, who booked like all the hardcore tours that came through, was also named Colby. And I guess, yeah, I guess Col he, Joe thought that the Colby and Reignition was Colby Black, who, who ran the champ. So he put us on this show with Terror, Maximum Penalty, 
Um, <laughs> maybe Ramal played. Okay. <laughs> then when we got there, he was like confused because Col- the Colby he thought was there wasn't in the band. Then we covered Rage Against the Machine and everyone hated it and walked outside and then he never booked us again. <laughs> if you did that now, like, it would go over so well. Yeah. Maybe not at a terror maximum penalty show, but... <laughs> um, I think so. so yeah. it, I have to say, like, alright, I'm not gonna, like, pretend I'm, like, involved in hardcore. I don't mean to sound like that person that's just, like, moved on from it, but it's just, like, if you want to hear about hardcore in 2020, you go talk to, like, the young kid that's going to the show every weekend, you know, traveling to the festival, like, right. or more importantly, going, like, playing in the bands that are around. Those are the people you talk to about, like, hardcore in 2020. But from what I gather, and it, it also benefits from, like, all this accessibility with, like, streaming and stuff like that. I know it can be the enemy a lot of the times, especially when you are the musician not getting paid, but, like, on the upside, it exposes, like, a younger generation to bands that they might have never heard before and also just genres of music that they normally wouldn't have gotten exposed to. I think it's really fucking amazing that you can go to a hardcore show now and you'll see people wearing like Nine Inch Nail shirts or like Rage Against the Machine or Type of Negative but like won't get made fun of it because I, right. I remember being a young kid and like I remember one of my good friends Chris Enriquez also one of my favorite drummers from On the Might of Princes and now currently plays in spotlights was wearing a nirvana shirt at a show at this venue called the Pwac, and like people were like legit making fun of him for that like now you wear a nirvana shirt at a hardcore show and people are like that shirt's fucking cool and like yeah. but i love that i think it's a very healthy thing that like you can be like a young kid into hardcore now and like wear whatever the fuck you want like whatever music you want but um yep yeah, yeah against the machine now i think that would go over really well and that's fucking sweet but that's a bummer that you never got booked again for that <laughs> I, mean, it's, 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 I thought it was funny more than anything looking back on it it's funny but it's also kind of whack but <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the story of <laughs> reignition. <laughs> reignition also kind of whack <laughs> So uh, what, when did ambitions end? Did you guys like? I don't even remember an official breakup. Did it just kind of slow down? No, we did uh, like a, an official last show. Um, I guess like yeah. in the end of the day, not to be silly, but not everyone in the band was very ambitious about touring a lot, and we didn't want to half it. Thing, so we just kind of played to an end. The band broke up in like September of 2008. Okay. Because I, I was touring with Wait and Bang all that year, um, especially in the summer. At, like that tour that we played in York that I, I can't remember the house show, but I remember saying that Wait and Bang tour was like nine weeks long. But then I came back from that tour, and then Ambitions, we played our last show in Wallingford, Connecticut in September of 2008. It was a really good show, a little emotional. I didn't want the band to come to an end, but I was also understanding, we're not going to do this like for real. Let's not half-ass, like, let's go out on a good note. And the last show was amazing, like, incredible turnout, a lot of people that 
really we're happy to be there. Also sad the band was breaking up, but this shit happens all the time. But yeah, we, we call it a day in September of 2008. I like how this ties together with Greg's interview where Greg explained to us one of the differences they had in trial was Tim wanted to tour a lot more than Greg did. And here we are. Oh, yeah. After yeah. trial breaks up and Tim is going on a nine week tour with Wade and Fane across the U.S. Well, yeah, it also took like Wade and Fane like a long time to come into place. Because, I mean, I, re- I remember trial breaking up. I think it was like 2000 because I actually was trying to book trial a New York show when they were supposed to play Hellfest. And I remember writing an email and be like, hey, I have this venue. Like, how much money do you guys need? And then it was the time of, like, internet, and then where you didn't have, like, the breaking news feeds or anything like that. If you found out something, it was, like, either in a chat room or if you had, like, the rare hardcore uh, webpage. But anyway, Greg Benick wrote me this, like, novel of a response through, like, AOL Mail and, like, told me about trial breaking up, and I was, like, devastated because I was a huge trial fan. But, uh, so yeah, I never got to book them. So they broke up in like 2000 and then wait in vain didn't really like start till like 2005. Yeah. So you kind of hopped into energy pretty soon after that then, right? Was that uh, like, uh, so this is, this is a funny story. So the next day after ambitions breaks up, I get a MySpace message from one of the members of energy asking me to go to Europe with them. Oh yeah. Oh Wow. It was the next day. Like I, I remember waking up and just going on MySpace, looking through my bulletins, updating my like profile song. <laughs> guaranteed a Tegan. It was guaranteed a Tegan and Sarah song, and if MySpace <laughs> were still around, it's still. Um, but I remember opening a message. I can't remember what who the member of Energy was, but they were like, "Hey, um, we noticed ambitions like bro- broke up yesterday, and we need a." drummer for our european tour with slapshot would you be down to do that and at that time i didn't know anybody and like i had never met them like even though we had played shows together i never talked to them or anything like that but i i did their new record that came out at the time so i was like you know what fuck it i'm gonna take a chance let's do this (laughs) and then i remember they were on a tour with h2o bane and and the last show was in New York City, and they picked me up at Gramercy Theater, and I got in a van with these people I'd never met before. And we went up to Boston, and the next day, we all rehearsed again. And then the day after that, we went to Europe together for fucking three and a half weeks with Slapshot, where we shared a bus together. So, and like, I noticed no one who was in energy around the time, like, we played with you guys aside from tank is still in energy was there anything behind that or was it all just like hey i'm out now i'm out no now i'm so out. so wait is energy still a thing buddy oh yeah <laughs> i wait i had no idea about this i thought the band broke up probably around like 2010 because like i recorded on an ep called like walk into the fire yeah, I did the recording session, but like, you know, nothing personal. We just didn't click with each other as people, and it didn't make sense for me to be in the 
band anymore. And I thought, like, after that EP came out, that was it. I, I didn't know they're still a band. Yeah, it looks like they have, like, three full lengths since then. Whoa. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's news to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's why, because it always, like, I guess, I'm assuming his tank must, like, pay to sponsor their post, so it always pops up on my Facebook feed, and I'm like, oh, shit, there's, he's still going. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. You learned something new, or in this case, something that happened, but you had no idea, but they put out three full names since. I mean, hey, that's really cool. I mean, I can't say I'm close at all with tank but you know keep making music like i will say this about tank incredibly talented individual like we were never close or anything like that but um that voice was phenomenal very great stage presence and of utmost respect from like a, a musical side totally yeah i most i think i mostly communicate i think i mostly communicate with connor around that time for whatever reason see like i i never like had bad blood with any of the members but dan was like the only one that seemed to actually like me (laughs) (laughs) and it's awesome because i still hear from dan because like i i love that human i'm so happy with where his life has gone and just with the whole guitar teching and everything like that because like he's like guitar teching for like jack white now and that's fucking awesome oh um, wow you know that the that last was... time i the last time i saw dan he was guitar teching for sleater kinney at the terminal five show it was like when they like first came back and that was the last time but then like i also saw him at hammerstein ballroom when i went to new pornographers and uh pains of being pure heart and like i had a really big like catch up with him that night and he was telling me about like guitar teching for like super chunk and everything like that it was like awesome because he's like yeah he's like i feel like you and i are closer now than ever because i'm always guitar teching for your favorite band and i was <laughs> like yeah that's fucking cool yeah but he, he's got a sweet little life uh just living in utah like helping animals he's married to a wonderful person uh, the member of Joy Formidable, who's an awesome band, so that's fun. And he's happy, and that makes me happy. I I love, love Dan Mancini. He's an incredible human being. Doesn't have a bone in his body, from what I know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you wanna do you wanna go over your time in Hostage Calm a little? One thing I I heard was that the rehearsals and the practices were very intense. Um, I will say this, they were, they were intense in a good way for me, at least. Yeah. Um, they were intense in a way where I learned a lot as a musician from everybody in the band, but, uh, specifically like Seymour is a musical genius. Like Chris Martin is like by far an incredible songwriter it's like i don't know how that brain works but i'm just so grateful it (laughs) spit out all that wonderful music and i love the intense practices where even though i was playing the songs right 
play every fucking instrument and he would sit down and show me a specific thing on drums that had a better feel to it and he would have me sit down for like 15 minutes just getting comfortable with it whereas like i had never had that before like playing with other artists and like i had been playing with incredible musicians for a while at that and it, it was just invigorating it like made you look at things completely different, especially having a vocalist that has a drumming background, and it right. is great. And uh, also, Tim Casey is the best bass player I've ever played with in my entire life, and that back of vocal gift he has just, and also just incredibly human being. One of the weirdest people I know, but that's what I vibe with. Like, are the fucking weirdos like? As he, as Tim Casey say, true full-on freak, and I relate to that. And then Tom and Nick were just, like, great people to play in a band with. Like, Tom was just so laid back, and, like, whenever Nick just talked about music, he would get so excited. He's, like, by far the only person I've ever met that got so excited about talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I appreciated that so much. I remember... <laughs> being in his kitchen and him like actually like blasting parts from like chili peppers records and like actually pointing out certain grooves from like chad smith that were just so in the pocket and then when the leads from like john for john for shanti would come out like he would just be nailing the air guitars but that's the rehearsals were very intense in a good way like i crave that i loved having my like weaknesses pointed out and I don't even want to put it as weaknesses but like Chris would just be like that sounds good but let me show you that. it's sharing ideas and when musicians share ideas it makes you like a better artist you're like oh well I never looked at it that way let me try it and it, it kind of adds new color to your uh, your palette and I miss those rehearsals like I loved it just going over songs and looking at things differently and you know i wish every artist and band that i played with like had intense mentality like i i crave the practice and rehearsal moments it's just that makes you the uh powerhouse musician that you should be it like it, it helps you grow do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're up to now like you're doing like the studio drumming now right I mean, I got wrapped up in, like, the freelance musician life post-HostageCom. I mean, I was even doing that prior with, like, AW. They hired me for, like, a year to do, like, an album cycle. And then post-HostageCom, I had the honor of playing with Pedal for uh, the Shame record cycle. And that was probably, like, the most fun I've ever had playing for an artist. Like, the touring I did with Pedal and, like, like Recording, like, live sessions, I should say, were just so much fun. And just, it was a positive experience. The tours were the best tours I've ever done. So thank you, Kylie, um, for having me. For but, uh, uh, And then, like, after that, I did some shows with my friend Jess from Tank Red, and that was a lot of fun. So it's just kind of, like, whoever's available and I like the music, like, let's do this. But uh, for the first time in a while i'm actually starting my own thing uh so a very good friend of mine named james goodson and from richmond virginia james and i got together like 
two and a half years ago and started writing some songs. But last year in February, we went up to uh, Stone Lab in um, Western Massachusetts, and we worked with Justin Pizzaferrata. If you're not familiar with Justin, he's worked with like Sonic Youth, Parquet Courts, uh, Sabato, and like does a lot of like, like the J Massic stuff. And, and we went to the studio and we recorded four singles and a b-side and i'm very happy to announce that they're finally going to be released this year oh that's awesome yeah so it's finally like something that i can consider my own and uh the best way i can describe it is it's a band that's like heavily influenced by just the uh I want to say big courses of like Oasis, but then uh, there's like guitar elements of like the noisy moments in like Jesus and Mary Chain stuff. And then, like, then there's like some parts that like remind me of like failure and ride. And then even like elements of like Siamese dream, like smashing pumpkins you can hear, but it's, it also like works into this like, project where we have our own take on it and it has like a modern day feel to it and i'm very proud of it and i can't wait for people to hear it that's awesome looking forward to it um yeah and uh i i love the name that we decided on like blair like b-l-a-r-e like we went crazy trying to figure out names and that was like a grilling pot that took like half a year because we had have like all these names and james was like a name but i wouldn't be too keen on it and then vice versa and then i met up with him in uh north carolina uh last april and we just got lunch together because he like lives in richmond but he was living in raleigh for like a little bit and i was coming through through that day and we just sat down and he was like, yeah, I was thinking of this name Blair. Like, I had it saved for, like, some bands that I, I was starting years ago, but I didn't think you would like it. And I was just like, dude, you're supposed to tell me every fucking name that you think of. <laughs> and as soon as I heard Blair, I just loved it. I, Very nice. It 90s. made sense because, like, yeah, exactly. And it fits the, like, style of the band. It's like, like a Blair and sound of guitars and everything like it's simple and short and sweet but it's to the point and as soon as like i heard i'm like that's the name and he's like well look like let's sleep on i'm like no 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 i'm like that's the fucking name and then (laughs) like a few days later he sent me a video of him like updating like all the demos on his computer to like untitled to blair and i was like okay cool we're actually naming the band blair so i'm just very eager for people to finally hear that stuff so you know we don't have like an official release date for it yet but we had like a two-hour phone conversation like pretty recent and uh it's gonna come out this year awesome is there any um shout outs or anything you want to give before we wrap it up um yeah i I want to give a shout out to all my non-binary people out there. That shit is so important. Um, so, like, not to get personal, but, like, I finally uh, came out with my proper pronouns this year. I go by they, them. And uh, it's a difficult thing. And I just want to, like, if anyone's list- going to be listening to this that's going through the same thing, like, be yourself. 
anyone tell you like who you are like only you know who you are and just don't be afraid of it and like you might not realize it at the time but like you're surrounded by people that like fucking love you so much and they'll and i like held it in for over a decade (laughs) and i won't go down like a whole path but like i just want to like give a shout out to people that are struggling with that and i just want them to know that people care about them and it's important and like you should keep reminding people of your pronouns because you should be addressed the way that you want to be addressed i mean be mindful it takes time for people to get used to it but i i really want people to like be open about it because it it was very like brittle for me to like hold in i know a lot of people were also like upset that like i wasn't being open about it but when you uh, and also it's another thing it's like don't pre- when you're ready you're ready but i just want everyone to know that who's dealing with that your people love you and just be yourself and uh yeah i just want everyone to be aware of it and like if you have any questions just like ask talk to people then, then that's another thing if you have like a lot of like stuff that's going on through your head this is even outside the non-binary stuff but like just like mental health in general just like talk to people like don't bottle it up i've made that mistake for so many years and uh there's always someone to talk to so people love you so just just let it out (laughs) totally and i mean it's a great point to make up especially like today and really happy that um you were able to finally like come out and be yourself you know so thank thank you and um there's not a day that goes by where i don't like regret it too if anything there's still a lot of work work to be done and this isn't even about myself just the world in general but it's just like you know i think about it every day but in a very positive way and you know i'm always here to talk to anybody who needs to talk about it because again this is so important totally well everyone check out um check out blair when it comes out hopefully sometime this year right and yeah uh, Feel free to skim through uh, Keith's previous bands that we talked about, and I'm sure there's even more we didn't talk about. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> some, some that we keep off the resume, but we're not talking shit. <laughs> yeah, totally. So uh, we want to thank you for coming on, Keith. Thanks for giving us your time and talking about thank everything. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, this was a lot of fun. I'm, like, looking at the phone right now, like, we did this for an hour and a half, and I think that's so fucking cool. And it, it went exactly how I wanted. I didn't know what direction it was going, but I just wanted to have a conversation, and that's what we did. Yeah. And it, it went felt, into it, some, it went into some weird and wild corners. That's my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I was like telling a friend the other day. I'm like, sometimes I feel like my movie. Uh, I mean, ugh. Sometimes I feel like my life is a very weird movie and I get into situations that I don't understand how I get into them, but I'm also not mad. I'm like, well, we're just going to roll with it. But we'll have to save that for another We'll have to save that for another podcast. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, we'll probably end up doing repeat guests plenty of times, so I'll hit you up and we'll maybe uh, maybe when the Blair stuff comes out, we can get you on and we can kind of push that. 
little bit. That would be lovely. And please have me back anytime. Awesome. Cool. Well, excellent. Splendid. Cool. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was a blast. All right. Later, bud. Later. Have a great night. You too. All right, we want to thank Keith for uh, coming and doing the interview. Uh, everyone keep an eye out for their band, Blair, coming out later this year at some point. We're not sure exactly when. Uh, we're going to end this episode on uh, a warm button topic. I won't call it a hot button topic. Can you actually look into someone's eyes? You told me I cannot. Because... let. I, I, I told you my opinion is that you cannot, you can only look into an eye. You can't separate your field of vision to look into both eyes at the same time. I feel like though to put, put a hand on my, the bridge of my nose like this and then put your eyes on either side of, like if we connected our shark fins, again, this is- I'm doing that to my computer right now. This is an audio medium, not a visual one. So everyone at home is lost as hell. So my thought on this is- I, I think back to those old 3D images. Anyone that's seen Mallrats, the the schooner, a schooner is a sailboat. The guy couldn't see the fucking sailboat in the picture, and he just sat there at the mall staring at it forever. But the whole idea of that was instead of focusing on, like, the picture in front of you, you kind of had to focus on a spot, like, a foot behind it. So your your vision was actually kind of kind of like what you were saying. You got to unfocus from one eye and try to focus on both, which is kind of hard. I never could see those fucking 3D sailboats, but uh, no, me I feel like somebody that could see those 3D sailboats. And you know what? Maybe people that could see the, the, the 3D sailboats were just liars. Maybe. I'm a little, I don't know. So think about the time it would take you to separate your eyes like that to see the sailboat. And you're standing there like looking at this thing. And then think about just looking into someone's eyes for that long, trying to adjust your eyeballs and how they would, what they would think of you just staring at their eyes. So for those listening right now, Hopefully you're driving. Try your best to separate the field of vision and <laughs> come up with what you think. Let us know. I also kind of thought like the structure of the eyeball, you can kind of look into the, the eyeball if you really get close enough and like with the magnifying type. Into the look into their eyeballs. Yeah. Maybe so with binoculars. People want you to make eye contact. They say, look into my eyes, whatever. It's not fucking possible. Don't be a dickhead. Don't tell someone to look into your eyes. Say, look into my eye and prefer on which eye you want them to look into. Don't be an asshole because we're not all capable of it. Don't just don't. Don't be ableist about it. I'm gonna be honest, when when like making eye contact, I'm normally looking at their mouth because I wanna make sure that if they say something that I like they mispronounce something, I can look at their lips and try to figure out what the fuck they're saying. Yeah, especially when talking to people from like, I don't, I don't want to say like, not from this country, but like people from Boston say all kinds of fucking weird shit and ha don't talk right. Or people from the deep south, like when the first time I met Just Die, I remember like they had that real heavy southern draw, and it was like mixed with a little bit of the Appalachia like mountain type speak speech, and I had to like really pay attention to what they were saying until I got used to listening to them. Oh, just take, take this moment. They're uh, not a sponsor or anything, but Old Gods of Appalachia. I started listening to that MC. It's a good, it's a good show.
Steve is a really good writer, so it didn't surprise me that that show was as good as it was. I think I'm impressed with his like delivery and cadence of narration. It's really nice. Did you listen to it? Yeah, I think I I think I'm three episodes in. I I have so much I'm trying to listen to that's hard to keep up with everything. But anyone listening should check it out. It's a podcast from one of our friends called Old Gods of Appalachia. It's, it's like a horror-type podcast, like a fictional horror podcast, I guess is how you'd describe it, right? Yeah. yeah. It's anthology, right? Like each episode's a different little story. Yeah, they all, they all tie together kind of in like a bigger world. And it's all very much like... I mean, Old Gods of Appalachia kind of gives away that it's like Appalachian Mountain area like folklore, but it's all based on like Appalachian folklore. Yeah. Two beats off approved other two beats off approved podcast, getting it out. Our friend Dan Crayley does. He actually uh, was a big part of helping us get set up and giving us some tips on like how to stream or whatever. But thanks to Dan Crayley, everyone should check out his podcast. It's also a music based podcast based on central PA. He interviews a ton of funny bands. He's, great to listen to he can make uh talking about telephone poles interesting somehow and he asks great questions about like random questions like do you wash your legs yeah (laughs) i he i don't he's he's good at just like getting it out i guess but i know he's also going to like a full website format now where he's trying to like uh wrangle up a bunch of writers so anyone who's listening also check out our buddies podcast getting it out and old gods of appalachia all right. Well, that'll do it. Episode uh, four, two beats off. The I usually say check us out next Monday and every Monday, but you're probably listening to this on Tuesday because we flubbed it. Yeah, we flubbed a little bit. I don't know if anyone cared. Next week, we've got Bob, though. Oh, Bob's next week? Bob Nana. Bob Nana from Braid will be next Monday. So check us out next Monday and most Mondays and occasional Tuesday. Wherever you listen to podcasts, rate and review, I think is what I'm still feel comfortable. I feel like a snake oil salesman shouting in front of a medicine cart. Rate and review. Check it out. Free you got to get the rates, the ratings and reviews. It moves your podcast up the list on all the on all the Apple podcasts and Spotify and stuff. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Later.